So, thank you for all for coming. You never know how many people will show up. It could be two or a lot, and so I'm very pleased with not just the quantity, but the quality of people here. Because that's what matters. Um, done this before, and it's it's basically theology on tap. I don't know if you know about theology on tap. They're pretty strict about it. It's like trademark. So like, there's been places who, okay, yeah, we'll do theology on tap. And then, you know, they advertise it, and somehow someone from Theology on the Tap calls them and says, um, you're not officially registered with us, so you can't call it Theology on Tap. Okay. So that's why I'm calling it Bible and a Beer. Same idea. Yeah. I should trademark that, Bible and a Beer. So we have uh, three of them scheduled. You know, maybe we'll keep them going into the fall. Uh, I'll speak tonight. Father Joel is here. He'll speak in uh, July. What's the date? Wednesday, July 27th, and you're going to uh, present on active participation. Do you have a, a snazzy title in the liturgy? Or? Fully participating in Mass. Fully participating at Mass, good. So we'll probably do it, we'll do it at the same place here. Um, yeah, same idea. I probably should have thought, like, when I scheduled this, put the time down, just said, okay, you know, we'll, pre- presentation will start at 6, or presentation will start at 5.30, and then you can come early. Instead, I decided, you know, oh, you know, let's start from when you would come and eat at 5, and that's why you get the funny time of 5.45 for presentation. But, um, it's okay. It's better than 5.47 or something like that. <laughs> So the main thing I wanted you to get out of tonight is to see that our relationship with God, our faith, our religion, church, whatever you want to call that, isn't just something you, just a part of your life, but it's actually something to actually grow in. It's a dynamic reality. Um, Oftentimes, when we talk about our existence in life, well, we'll speak of it as a pilgrimage. And that's correct. In fact, right, today if you would have um, went to Mass or even uh, prayed over the readings yourself, the second reading is, is called, you know, referred to that way. So St. Paul, this is what St. Paul says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to the one, or to all who have loved his appearing. End quote. So the idea that I've finished the race. So there's a sense to that, that life is about a pilgrimage. Uh, you're going to a destination. Heaven is a destination. Okay? And uh, one of the benefits about looking at it this way, too, is like, if you want to get to Disney World, you got to be on the right path to get there. If I'm on, you know, I don't know, highways. What, what's one of the freeways that you were out west, Amy and Tim, that goes west? I-90. So if you're on I-90 going west, okay, you're not going to get to Disney World, okay? Um, if we're not following the Lord, we're not being faithful, we're not going to get to heaven, so... That kind of image of life or existence of pilgrimage is, is fitting. There's some truth to that. But maybe a lesser known way of viewing our life and our relationship with God, but I would argue is even kind of a more fuller image and what I want us to contemplate 
Tonight is that of an acorn and an oak tree. The fact that when you are baptized, you receive the seed of eternal life in your soul. And the goal of life is to have that seed flourish ultimately into the glory of heaven. So not so much pilgrimage destination, but a flourishing, a um, coming to its perfection, if you will. And this is truly kind of a Catholic way of looking at it, even compared to our Protestant brothers and sisters, because Luther himself would say that sanctifying grace isn't a new reality in the soul. We're not actually interiorly renewed and reformed and transformed, but rather just more of a a legal declaration by God saying, okay, you're forgiven. But there isn't an actual transformation. We're not really changed. But to be truly consistent with what Christ said in Scripture and the church is like, no, when we are baptized, we are actually interiorly renewed. So Jesus says in John's Gospel, he says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. What do our ears hear when we hear that? We think, oh, he who believes, okay, then they will go to heaven eventually, or um, you know, they, they will have eternal life in the future. Jesus says, has eternal life. Right? We, by believing, we have that eternal life now within us. And it's a matter of it flourishing, coming to its perfection. Um, two books I'm going to refer to, but mainly this one. This is uh, Father Reginald, Reginald Garigou Lagrange. It's a classic. It's called Christian Perfection and Contemplation. That talks about um, the spiritual um, growth and the the process of, of spiritual growth. And this is one of the quotes. In other words, not only will he have eternal life later on if he perseveres, but he who believes has it already, in a sense. Because the life of grace, even on earth, is the beginning of eternal life, as St. Thomas Aquinas states repeatedly. As a seed is defined only by the plant that springs from it, or the dawn by the day that it heralds, so we can conceive the life of grace only by considering, first of all, the life of glory, of which it is the seed. For the same reason, we cannot determine what Christian perfection is without speaking first of eternal life, of which is its prelude. Right? So like any a seed of a plant... You don't just think, oh, look at the seed and, okay. No, you. what's significant about, about the seed or how you identify, distinguish the seed is what it will become. And therefore, same with us. Like, we're only going to be able to truly realize what the life of grace is, uh, charity poured into our souls, sanctifying grace and our baptism. We're only going to be able to truly understand that if we consider its perfection, its fullness, which is the life and glory in heaven. So the life of grace here on earth and the life of glory in heaven are essentially the same thing. The same thing. Someone who's in a state of grace is essentially 
the same deal as someone in heaven. That seed of eternal life is there, except for two differences. One, here on earth, God is only known by the obscurity of faith. Okay, it's only, we only touch God, we only encounter God here on earth through faith. Okay, whereas in heaven, it's the clarity of vision. It's, it's directly, we, we encounter God. Okay. Second difference between the life of grace here on earth and the life of grace in heaven, or the glory of uh, heaven, is that we can lose that grace here on earth, whereas in heaven it's confirmed. Okay, it's assured, it's, it's forever. So those two differences. This is what Gergel Lagrange says. How can we attain so lofty an end as eternal life? Spiritual progress can tend to this end only because it presupposes in us the seed of glory. That is a supernatural life identical to its essence with eternal life. The seed contained in the acorn could not become an oak unless it had the same nature as the oak, unless it contained the same life in a latent state. A child could not become a man unless he had a rational soul, unless reason were slumbering in him. Similarly, a Christian on earth could not become one of the blessed in heaven unless he already received that divine life. The seed contained in the acorn could not become an oak unless it already had that same nature of the oak. We cannot become one of the saints in heaven unless we already have that someplace in us now. And so, when we consider death, death isn't you know, going from one type of existence to another. For the true Christian, it's a passage from the eternal and supernatural life which is imperfect here in faith, to the eternal and supernatural life which is perfected and in its fullness. So here's the reality. That life of grace that we received at our baptism, in fact, we have Isaac over here who was just baptized this this spring. So, brand new, pretty Christian. So, Isaac received there, and what we all have received, this is the reality. Is that that sea of eternal life? There's only two options. Either it's going to flourish and become perfected in heaven, or it's going to wither and die for all eternity. Okay? Either eternally die or flower into the glory of heaven. Those are the only two options. Okay? There's no like just staying forever in its latent state. The seed of eternal life will only flourish for heaven or it's going to wither and die forever. In fact, this is kind of neat to think about and maybe you guys are familiar with this. So the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, those were received, infused into our soul at our baptism. Um, Of those three that we have, which of them... All of them, some of them, which ones, or none of them, will there be in heaven? You think all of them, China? Who thinks all of our, all the theological virtues will be present in heaven? Raise your hand if you think all of them. We'll do it this way. Who thinks none of them? Who thinks uh, 
I don't want to go through all the permutations. <laughs> what, you'll go with none of them? Yeah. Okay. What do you say, Phil? I don't think you need hope once you get to heaven. Okay. What about faith? Do you need faith in heaven? No, I don't think so. Yes. So you don't need faith, you don't need hope. What about charity? Is charity in heaven? Not the priest. <laughs> Who says yes? Yes. Charity is in heaven. Charity is friendship with God. Charity is friendship with God. Uh, Paul says, of these three, three remain. The greatest is love. All right? Referring to love is that which endures unto for all eternity. Friendship with God, that's, that's forever. And I'll get back to charity because it's so important. It's so cool to think about, truly reflect on what that means, that theological virtue of charity. Um, speaking of this idea of the seed, eternal, eternal life in our soul, St. Catherine of Siena said, all the way to heaven is heaven. All the way to heaven is heaven. In one sense, um, being on your way to heaven because your destination is heaven, okay, that's, that's heaven, that's, that's peace, that's joy, all that. But in another sense, what she's saying is, all the way to heaven, being in a state of grace, having that seed of eternal life, you already have it there. It just needs to flourish into heaven. So all the way to heaven is heaven. And so the normal, the normal process of this seed of eternal life is for it to grow and flourish into the glory of heaven. That if it's nourished and obstacles are removed, it will... Normally, it will naturally, that's its end. The only way it doesn't get there is if it's not nourished, if it's frustrated, if there's obstacles put in, in front of it. But just like an acorn, all it needs, it has everything, it just needs to be nourished, and re- obstacles removed. The same thing for the seed of eternal life, grace, sanctifying grace. It just needs to be nourished and remove obstacles so that it can, it can flourish. Um, Jesus himself says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here's the thing. Because its natural end is the glory of heaven, is the fullness, is like, that can happen here in this life. Most of you are good Catholics, and you, you realize that, like, in a word, you don't have to go to purgatory after you die. Plan A, God's plan, is to be perfected by the time you die. And all that means, basically, is that seed of eternal life that you receive, that your baptism grows and flourishes, so that it's just a matter of dying and having that seed of eternal life be perfected, um, come to its fullness in, in heaven. But not that it needs more purification, not that it needs, in a sense, more kind of uh, processing in purgatory. And so the traditional kind of process of this, this seed of eternal life into the glory of heaven, is a three-stage process called the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive way. The purgative way is kind of, you know, think of a child, okay? The illuminative way is that of an adolescence. And the unitive way is that of an adult. And so that's the process that all Christians must must go through. 
is that purgative. All right, the purgative, the removing the mortal sins, okay? The illuminative, you know, um, removing those venial sins, etc. Uh, removing your, your imperfections. And the unitive, in a sense, is an actual lived communion with God here on earth. It's the process of that seed developing and flourishing into its fullness. Even to the point, as many of the saints have done, have been experiencing, have been able to experience a, a taste of heaven while here on earth. Some call it this mystical union, an actual, intimate, almost continual union with God. The culminating point on earth of this development of grace. Again, that's the normal prelude to the life of heaven. St. Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live, Christ who lives within me. He could say, like, Christ is living in me. (laughs) I live my life, but it's a life in the faith of the Son of God who died and raised me. That Christ is actually living in St. Paul. And so we we see with this then, and the biggest thing is that our life of faith, our our church, faith, whatever you, it's not supposed to be just a part of our life that we just do on Sundays. But realizing everything we do does matter. Everything can continue to transform, to grow, to purify ourselves, or it can obstruct that seed from growing and hinder it and frustrate it. This is what Gergur Lagrange says again. The summit of its development should be a very perfect perfect disposition to receive the light of glory immediately after death, without passing through purgatory, since nothing unclean can enter heaven. In the principle, in, in principle, a soul must undergo these passive purifications at least in a measure before death while meriting and progressing, or after death without meriting or progressing. The last line is very important, so I'm going to flesh that out. Um, maybe a way, a way of looking at this. So, in one sense, it's this life of grace um, just being purified, perfected, okay? And that can happen here on earth, or that can happen in purgatory. Um, if we do it here on earth, there's actually merit, meaning we can grow in charity. We can grow in grace to the point that actually receive greater beatitude in heaven. A lot of my Queen of Peace um, parishioners have heard me talk about this. Like, There's a hierarchy in heaven. Um, St. Teresa of of Avila and the other saints spoke of different sizes of containers. So, in heaven, everyone's seed of glory has been, has flourished, has come to perfection. Okay. But another way of looking at it is everyone has containers. Alright. And in heaven, everyone's container is full, perfectly overflowing. Okay. So, in every, in heaven, everyone is happy, fulfilled. But, in a sense, they have different capacities for their beatitude enjoyment of God. Why? Because that container is, is how much charity they died with, the degree of charity they died with in their soul. 
And so our Blessed Mother, I like to say, she's got like the Pacific Ocean, you know, container. You know? Uh, St. Joseph, probably the Atlantic Ocean. St. Francis of Assisi, you know, he might have, you know, Lake Superior, and then so on, like that. The mafia, the mafia boss who converts, you know, repents on his, on his deathbed, makes a good confession, okay, and then needs a lot of purification in, in, uh, in heaven or in purgatory. He's got maybe a little thimble, still full, okay? Totally fulfilled. But that's the reality of going through that purification process here on earth. It's actually meritorious. We grow in charity. So that you can do this, you know, do this easy way or the hard way, as they say. Here on earth, by cooperating with our will, saying yes actively, we're actually growing in charity. We're meriting greater rewards, storing up treasures in heaven, as Christ said. Whereas if we just do the minimum, and then we need a lot of purification in purgatory, that purification in purgatory is not meritorious. So you're not increasing in charity at all. You're being perfected, okay? And it's a great grace, gift that God gives us, that purification after death. Um, he's so merciful in that way. But that's not his plan. His plan is plan A. His first plan is that we become perfected here. So we see faith as something to grow in, not just doing the minimum, not just part of my life, but everything. Nothing is exempt from my relationship with God. From my growth. So a couple takeaways from this. One. If a person isn't in a state of grace. You're not even on the path. Alright. And every good thing you do. Isn't meritorious. It's just wasted. <laughs> um, I was visiting a parishioner this morning. Who's, who's, who's uh, going through some health things. And, and the reality of of suffering in this life and challenges and difficulties. It's something that we all have to deal with. So in a sense, we might as well get credit for it. We might as well have it be rewarded by making sure we're in a state of grace and we accept those things. Because we're going to go through it. And the worst is to have to go through it and not have it be rewarded and just have it wasted. And if we're not in a state of grace, it means our first and primary end is, is not God. And therefore, anything that I'm doing, even if it's good, it's not ultimately ordered towards God. And therefore, it's not meritorious. Purpose, importance of always staying in the state of grace. Now, theologians would say, like, if, hypothetically, you know, if you know, someone's at this amount of charity, you know, in their life, and they commit a mortal sin, you don't start over. You make, you confess. You get, you, get, you, you get to go back to, in, a, in a sense, where your degree of charity is, okay? So it's not like, oh, i got to start all the way over. No. Um, that's not how it goes. Um, let's see what else I would say. Um, very generous souls ought normally to suffer their purgatory on earth while meriting rather than after death without meriting. If we go to purgatory after death, it will be our own fault. It will be because we have neglected the graces that were granted to us or offered during life. Purgatory after death, frequent though it may be, is not according to the order arranged by God for the full development of the supernatural life within us. I've been kind of um, saying that. Um, 
when I was in eighth grade, we had to do a career project. A lot of us, you know, we had to do career projects. So this is at Holy Rosary, eighth grade. And, um, I did mine on civil engineering. And I did a lot of research. Um, one of my sister's friends, her dad, was a civil engineer. So I went downtown to his office for a whole day, followed him around, took notes. Um, I put together, you know, a 20-page paper. Put a lot of time in this. And uh, I got it back. You know, a couple weeks later, and I got it, got it A. Really proud of it. My buddy, name was Chris Ilenda. The night before it was due, he just, you know, did a quick Wikipedia search, typed up two pages, handed his in, got his back, B plus. I'm like what? <laughs> I did all that work, and, yeah. and I, I think sometimes we can look at life that way. And a relationship with God is like, okay, I just want to do the minimum because I don't want to do any extra wasted work. You know, I just want to do the minimum, have all the fun and, in a sense, pleasure. Do the minimum in life, just enough to get into heaven because I don't want you know have to look back and be like, oh, I could have had more fun or I could have done this or that. It's like. Life isn't like that. <laughs> okay. Everything will be rewarded. Everything will be rewarded. Every little sacrifice, every act of charity um, will be rewarded. We don't have to worry about doing the minimum. Uh, I think that's so tempting <laughs> in the world today because so many things are like that. We don't have to do the minimum. Um, and so how, how do we do this? How do we um, progress? Um, how... The important thing I want you to see is it is life. Life is about this growth in the spiritual life. That it's not just, you know, a religion part of us. Um, it's not even, you know, just a pilgrimage. But actually we can grow. You know, think about, you know, people who work out. You know, you, you, you try to get in better shape or you lift weights or maybe you do a musical instrument. You know, you want to get better. The spiritual life is like that. And most importantly is to, to actually grow and to see our life that way. Um, one of the the current kind of what I think is a man who has a good understanding is I think he has a great degree of holiness. His name is Dan Burke. Dan Burke, and he's one of those guys that reads a lot, especially about spiritual things, and he's able to like regurgitate, you know, the saints in very um, digestible ways for us. <laughs> um, and so he has this book called The Devil in, in the Castle. The castle referring to St. Teresa of Avila. She talked about the castle and the, the seven castles or the seven mansions, uh, you know, progressing in the spiritual life. And he talks about the paradigm of ascent. The paradigm of ascent. And these are practices or things we need if we truly want to grow in the spiritual life. First of all, I would recommend this book because... Um, this and other others, you know, whether it's the, you know, reading this and the unit, the purgative, illuminative, um, and the unitive way, uh, sometimes helpful to not necessarily say, okay, I think I'm right here, um, because there is some overlaps. 
But at least you kind of can see that there is a growth. There is a, a process there. There is a movement. It's not just, okay, I'm just, I'm Catholic and that's it. No, but there's, there's a growth. And so he, he talks about, though, Dan Burke talks about the paradigm of ascent. And so there's basically four parts. The first is um, what he calls an authentic yes in your heart to God. You have to have an authentic yes. It's not enough merely to know about God or even to practice your faith. You must know God intimately. And so though you've been baptized, though you've been confirmed, you still must constantly recognize your need for God and for the conversion of life, your need for conversion of life that draws you ever closer to Him. So the first thing I'm going to kind of draw this out this way is yes. You have to have a yes. Like, okay, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to Christ. I'm, I'm going to do this. Okay, that, that firm commitment, that dedication, yes. The second part, he would say, are the sacraments. When we speak about the sacraments, usually you, 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 we mean the ones that you can receive multiple times. What are the, the two sacraments you can basically receive over and over no matter what? Dolly? Two sacraments you can receive over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, confession and the Eucharist. Okay. So then receiving the sacraments... He says, the second foundational element is the most important support for your yes of your heart. It consists in the sacraments of the Eucharist and regular confession. Um, I think it's really important for Catholics to go at least every month to confession. And the more you go, you realize, okay, praise God, I don't have serious mortal sins. Okay, And so you can confess venial sins. And, Oh, right. And then even imperfections, right? This is all helping you to grow in the spiritual life. So that's the second part, receiving the sacraments. Thirdly, the third foundational element to the unauthentic discipleship is daily prayer. The saints would say that daily mental prayer is necessary for salvation. Not because, like, if you just don't do it, you're, you're, you know, necessarily damned to hell. But it's so important that in those who pray daily mental prayer, there will be that growth. If there isn't that prayer, um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow, and actually, you'll be, you'll fall into temptation, etc. And so, mental prayer is, um, you know, we have, we have, there uh, are Father, you know, we have these different kind of word prayers. Mental prayer is. Basically, a conversation with God. Um, what you need a lot of times is maybe, maybe some sort of content, whether it's the Bible, uh, a life of a saint. Um, there's other different spiritual readings where you read a little, and you just kind of, after that, having a conversation with God. Relating to God what's on your heart. Um, allowing God to speak to you through your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires, and your conscience. Giving God some time, having that silence. That daily mental prayer is so important. So that's the that's the third one. Um, and there's a lot that's been written on, uh, particularly mental prayer. Um, again, Dan Daniel Dan Burke has some good um, resources. I can give you them if you'd like. He has a whole um, kind of apostolate called SpiritualDirection.com. Uh, very helpful in, in this. So that's the third part: is prayer. 
Um, also, you know, praying the rosary. That can be done in a way that there's mental prayer, kind of a conversation with God while meditative, why, you know, these words, prayers are going, uh, rolling off your, your tongue or in your mind. Finally, the fourth foundational element to your discernment is ascesis, okay, or asceticism. And that's basically the word just for exercise. It doesn't mean like running, that type of exercise, necessarily. Um, but it means self-denial, self-giving. How important that is. If any man would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Saying no to the draws of our lower natures, our disordered passions, in order to, to say yes to giving yourself completely to God and to those whom he has placed in your care or in your circle of influence. Excesis is simply what it means to truly follow Jesus. He says, the funny thing is that if you pursue the sacraments and prayer the way the saints did, your practice of ascesis is already well underway. He says this, this final, this fourth element is a saint-making machine. A saint-making machine. Anyone here heard of uh, Exodus 90? It's kind of a newer program. Um, there's some, it's for men, but there's some women alternatives like Fiat 90. There's a couple different versions. And ecstasis, asceticism is a big part of these. Uh, mainly there's three kind of pillars. Is They have the individual prayer part. And they have kind of fraternity, so it's usually a group of men or a group of women that do it. And they meet together weekly. And then one part is the asceticism. Um, for the guys, I don't think any of the, the women's have them do this, but for the guys, it's, you know, cold showers, you know. Um, it's not eating between meals. For some of the women's ones, I know it's like, you know, no makeup on Wednesdays or, um, you know, different things like that. What's that? Yeah, you can find Yeah. So there's different, depending on men or women, a different asceticism for each But in a sense, it's a self-denial, okay? Um, so those, those four things, this authentic, committed yes, willing to follow you, Lord, uh, from last week's gospel, you know, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Um, the yes, and then it's the sacraments, receiving Holy Communion, going to Mass, um, even daily Mass if you can. Uh, the prayer, that daily mental prayer. I truly think for most of us, most of you, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day in the morning is, is sufficient. And, and what you, it's what you can are able to offer God. And then the asceticism, um, that self-denial, um, intentional acts of self-denial, realizing that that's helping us grow in this way. So that's the paradigm of ascent. And then he would say kind of to add to that finally is just a daily examine. So at the end of the day, taking kind of a mental helicopter approach <clears throat> over your day, you know, going back. Okay, what were the times that I responded to God's grace in the Holy Spirit? And what were the times like, uh, you know, I, I didn't respond to the Holy Spirit as I should? And then making just a simple act of contrition before you go to bed. That daily examine to that paradigm ascent, that's, that's all part of it. So, to realize 
You know, our life, our faith is something that we can grow in. Uh, and nothing is wasted. I'll finish with this image. Who here has played sports? One of the best feelings when you play sports is at the end of a game, maybe winning a close game, coming into the locker room. I'll use hockey because that's what I'm most familiar with. And you're just just dead tired. You can barely you know, get off the ice. And you just sl- fall into your locker. You're bruised from blocking a puck, a shot. You know, your, 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 your jersey's just soaking wet with sweat, maybe some blood there. And it's like, yeah, I just left it all out on the ice. Versus coming back after a game, jersey's nice, nicely creased, haven't even broken a sweat, you know, because you didn't even get off the bench, <laughs> didn't even get on the ice, get to the locker room like, okay, well, that was, that was something. I think all of us can somehow relate to that in our hearts. Like at the, the end of our life, we want to look back and say, we left it all out there. Like, take me, Lord. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> um, in a sense, we, got, we, can't, we don't need to save, our, save it for anything, but we can leave it all out on the ice, realizing that everything, um, everything will be rewarded. So I just leave that uh, at at this point, and if there's any questions or comments, any uh, maybe clarifications about what I said, but but mainly, yeah, to see your life as something you can continue to grow in, and that everything we do, um, nothing is wasted. Everything will be rewarded.